0: Hello and welcome to episode 136 of the Dive Down, a Magic: The Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Did you hear? Did you hear my cat just jump off the desk? I did. She just want thump thump. Is that the podcat from last
1: week? It's the podcat. It's gonna be. This is gonna be a wild one. Hmm. This is gonna be. This is. I can. T- I think that. I don't know. It's just another it's another summer day where I'm just feeling like uh, we're going to have a lot of fun
2: chit-chat today, y'all.
0: You guys know that song by Flo Rida featuring Sia,
2: Wild Ones? No. I saw Flo Rida live one time. Cool. It was pretty good, actually. It was great. Yeah. Wrote a lot more good songs than I thought. Also with us, the godfather, Dave Harbarger.: Yeah. It's been a week. It's been a, it's been a week. I, I no longer live where I lived, and I'm, <laughs> I'm living nowhere right now. For a little bit. And uh, so I'm podcasting from nowhere. Coming to you straight from nowhere. Camp nowhere.
0: On this week's episode, we are talking about some changes happening to Historic. A brand new digital-only release is on the horizon, the Historic Horizon. And we are going to break down some of the cards that are entering the format that used to be in paper, that now are going to be on Arena for the first time, in addition to some cards that have never been in paper, I'm told they'll never be in paper and will only ever be on Arena. We're
2: going to talk all about that stuff. Unless you take a look at Blogatog from Mark Rosewater, where he, someone said, could you make these cards in paper anyway and just let us figure out how to use them? And his reply was, maybe. What do you all think about that? <laughs> <laughs> Which I definitely want another website for the Davriel planeswalker. I, I got to tell you, that response actually made me, that was probably the happiest part of this whole thing for me. Because I was like, okay, yeah, let's just put them in paper and people can figure it out. That's fine.
1: Anyway. Like double sided cards, but just for the extra rules text.
0: Right. Yeah, why not? We're also gonna kick off the show with a breakdown of some recent historic events, benchmark the format before a huge shakeup occurs. Before all that though, let's housekeep.
1: We got some really big housekeeping news this week, and we've finally, with the the work of very dedicated uh, citizens of the Dive Down Nation uh, slowly crept up. People, people increased their Patreon tier. Uh, they kept giving more. and New people kept coming in, and we have hit the deck box stretch goal, and that's incredible. Thank, thank you to all of you who have uh, helped us get here from you know the very first uh, patrons on like the first day we started the the, the Patreon uh, to people who have you know been with us for what. 2 years at this point yeah. with the with the Patreon so it's just bonkers um, and it, it's super uh, super awesome. So we are already in communication with the people who will make the deck boxes, getting pricing, getting scheduling, but just up front, these deck boxes will be a process, okay? You know, like we have to get the art finalized, that
2: might be someone we commission like to do the art. Yeah, we have to decide still and I think we'll take it to the members of the the nation, of course, the members of the Patreon to ask them, you know, do they want us to commission some art for this? Do we want to think about that a little bit? Do we do we want to do something that's just like the branded stuff that we've made for several other kind of Patreon swag pieces? Um, yeah, it would be, It's it's up in the air a little bit. Of course, you know, I'm in the middle of a move, so it'll be a couple of weeks to kind of do that yeah. stuff. And then once we do that, it does take a while to manufacture and fulfill these boxes. So, yes, please keep it in mind, especially with the way that shipping, especially international shipping, is kind of going right now. So, yeah. Um, Again, super thankful to everybody, especially uh, Jason,
1: chemistry guy, one of the the original... Uh, patrons he's been pushing everyone reminding everyone how close we are so shout outs to all of you another thing i want to thank everyone especially a few of our longtime friends people who have some expertise specifically in discord we have made the transition
2: to what did we call it like the definitively discreet dive down discord there's no longer <laughs> a super secret slack server it's now a definitively discreet discord dive, dive, down, dive discord. down discord um,
1: so yeah, we we made a poll uh, maybe a few months ago and everyone was really into the idea of Discord besides the fact that Discord did not have threads. There was no threaded communication. You know, there was replies, but not threads. And Discord has now added threads. And I think we wanted the added value of some of the things that Discord can do. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of community elements of Discord that Slack just doesn't support. And also Slack is designed for paid workplaces and like you know deletes your chat after three four days so we just thought it was about time and i wanted to thank people especially lou uh for being you know my, uh, i worked with lou a lot on the the tech transition getting everything set up and then aaron and mickey s of one of the mickey s's uh for volunteering to be kind of like it help for the community everyone's stepping up big the transition has gone smoothly Uh, except for today when Patreon kind of messed stuff up a little bit. But we'll get over that. And so yeah, if you've been wanting to wait for the Discord transition to be involved in the community, uh, you should now probably have already got an invite.
2: And if not, feel free to join up and and join the Dive Down Nation. Yeah, and exactly. And if you've been waiting to join and support us on Patreon because you prefer Discord to Slack, like now we're on Discord. We're where everybody else kind of is. So you can check in on all your favorite content creator neighborhoods that way. You know, we're looking forward to doing, you know, trying to do small, stre- small, informal streams maybe on Discord, you know, maybe just doing a little bit of screen sharing in the Discord instead of trying to hop on Twitch and do all that stuff. You know, if I fire off a league some Friday night, I feel a lot more inclined to just share it on Discord than I do in, you know, go through the whole streaming, stream workshop and all that kind of stuff that I don't. Remember. Anyway, I think there's a lot of potential for, in Discord now for us, so, so we're excited about the transition, and we hope that you'll join us. Do you guys
0: like the new Discord? Has it been an adjustment for you?
2: Yeah, I don't really use Discord, other than I mean, I'm a member of a couple of other Discord services servers from uh, Patreon, basically, but I never. It's not part of my regular consumption of media, so I'm just getting used to using that app. Mm-hmm. But but the dive down is the only thing I use Slack for before at this point too because my job doesn't use it anymore and so it didn't really make much sense for me to stay there either um but i like it it feels like it's more apt for what we're doing here for sure
0: i like seeing what everyone's doing on their computers like yeah that's the creepiest thing right stanislav is listening to spotify shane is playing laser shoot larry no which one three dave is playing space pinball for windows 95 oh man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Temple of
2: A- you know it's all me. It's Temple of AppShy and Bar- Bard's Tale, Bard's Tale Three, Monazuma's Revenge yeah. on your Apple Two GS, Ultima Four, awesome. We
0: did get some some Patreon love too, right? Didn't we get some oh, yeah. increased I mean, tiers? Yeah, part
1: of that. Part of the deck box final push. We have uh, Kilgore Trout, who is the aforementioned Jason, uh, Stiv, Trevor D, and Jack J. Um, we also got some new re- new reviews: Obo, Mobo, and Thurman. 10 we definitely thank both of you for your for your reviews on
2: apple Podcasts. we appreciate all reviews that come in and we uh we review them and and think about all of the feedback we get absolutely and if you want to join us on patreon you can find us at patreon.com slash the dive down and if you want to support us when you're playing magic you can go check out mana traders our longtime sponsor we think the best place to rent magic the gathering cards after all this time still you're still the one and you can use our coupon code, the Dive Down 2021, to get 15% off of your first two months of rental services from Manatraders. That's manatraders.com. Yeah. And so on the news desk this week, we're very tight this week. Uh, you can tell all the cues are right on time and everything. Um, on the news desk this week, we have Stan, because we're going to do a historic focus episode for the first time in a long time. Stan's going to do a, a breakdown of some recent historic tournaments to get us re- reacquainted with the metagame. Mhm. Thank you
0: Dave. I'm really excited to talk about historic today just because we haven't really had a lot of time with the format since Brainstorm got banned and you know, so often post-ban formats are this fun wild west environment where people can really experiment and demonstrate their brewing and skill in Well, in we games. haven't had a lot
1: of time Stan, but besides you making Mythic, you know, what I mean just casually, just, you know, Mythic boy. You know a lot of bad
2: 21st century Mythic boy, Stan. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so, you know, in the waning days of Historic as we know it, I thought an interesting way to kind of help measure the impact of the upcoming Historic Horizons release will be to see where we're at now, get a lay of the land, maybe test our own expectations of what's good, popular, prevalent, even viable in this current format. And we had this really nice sample of 81 decks from the last for Insight eSport qualifier tournaments. So you can see all the results from those on MTG Goldfish or MTG Melee. I put together a pivot table because it's the only way I really know how to think and organize my thoughts if it's in a chart. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to run down basically the biggest buckets of decks that saw play in these events. And then we'll talk about uh, the most winning decks as well. So those that went X1 or better in these events with me so far yep absolutely cool so across these four events from basically the last week or two the single most popular deck in a post brainstorm environment was jess guy control oh cool it, oh, made, think it cha- made a lot of change in the format i see yeah of the 81 decks 20 of those were jess guy just about 25 percent of this tournament that's a pretty big slice of this this pie bigger than what we saw last week when we were looking at you know the the modern competitive environment post MH2.
1: So, what's what's Guy control looking like right now? I open up like a, a deck list or two and it's it looks like it's still trying to do like some magma opus, mizik's mastery type shenanigans at times. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to even like quantify what the specific differences are, you know, some people are running portable holes uh, in search for Contas. They're running a little bit of extra removal with justice strike because of those slots that opened up from brainstorm. Prismari command now comes up I think a little bit more often. Mm-hmm. But, but it, they got to get rid of those hammers, you know. I mean, that's
1: right. you know, it's just, you know, hammer time. You know, sometimes you come oh, up with historic Hold, on. Holoste- yeah. hold historic. on a second. Hold on. We're talking about historic now. I
2: get it. <laughs> was that a bit or were wow. you confused? I think he was actually confused for a minute there. I'm
0: just going to let the listeners decide. <laughs> Yeah, so 20% or 25% just get control. The second most popular deck from these events, 13 copies, 16% was Jund
2: Sacrifice. Yeah, I've been reading about that on Twitter a lot, that people have been back in love with Jund Sacrifice. It looks like it's kind of the big version of it with, uh, you know, with Korvold. Of course, that's the Jund one. I I didn't spend Mm -hmm. as much time playing this one as I spent playing the Rakdos one. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, good deck from the end of last year in Historic, making its way back to the top, aided by the fact that I guess Phoenix is a little less prevalent suddenly, although Phoenix is still here. Spo- spoilers. But...
0: Yeah, we'll we'll talk about Phoenix. Yeah, all these Sack decks, they're basically the Trail of Crumbs version. I think that's pretty much the one that's seeing the most play. Up next, two decks had 10% with eight copies each. It was Orzov Aggro, so
2: that's Orzov Auras, and is it phoenix still flying high Ba-ka. is it phoenix in fourth place what are they do- well, all right let's talk about orsov for dave, a minute dave it's tied for third tied for third <laughs> wow
1: <laughs> yeah technically doesn't that mean you're tied for fourth
2: how does that work tied like for third you, with it, an up arrow next to it uh-huh, i guess okay. it, it does technically mean it's tied for fourth you're right if we were gonna get get tough with this all right so let's look at at orsov aggro auras for a minute pretty much the same deck yeah, from the, from the end of last year as well, it looks like it's exactly what we had before, except for sometimes people are running Rune of Sustenance, which is a lifelink-giving enchantment um, and draws a card. So that can be helpful sometimes. But otherwise, it's pretty much your, your Kai's Ghost Form, your Cartouche of Solidarity, Hateful Eidolon, Core Spirit Dancer, Sram, all, all the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, nothing too new in here. Yeah, Heliot's Punishment.
0: What a card. I don't yeah, know I if we've ever card. really
2: talked about this card, how annoying it is. just does
0: everything for that deck. Such a great removal spell. And and looping Meyer's Grasp with, like, Alluris. Annoying. It's so dirty. But I respect yeah. it. Yeah. All right, let's talk about, is it Phoenix for a second? Please. Tied for third. You know, losing Brainstorm, I think, was expected to have a big impact on this particular deck. Just because, in Historic, we don't have a lot of options in terms of one mana, blue,
2: Cantripping instance. (laughs) We do have a lot of ops though. (laughs) At least four. Right. And we also have a bunch of options for two mana cards that people could use if they wanted to give it a try. Uh, that draw cards or manipulate cards in a way that's favorable for Phoenix. See Charter Course, Strategic Planning, all those kind of things that I think people thought were going to be in this deck before they were outmoded by Expressive Iteration.
0: Totally. And that's basically what I'm seeing as the replacement for the Brainstorms. It's usually a couple of Warlord's Fury, which is that single red sorcery draw card, creatures you control get First Strike. Um, And then some Charter Course, as well as... Finale of Promise, I think, is popping up again. That went on the downswing. Once it became an expressive iteration deck.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
0: remember when that transition happened and we stopped playing all those charter courses and that one in a red instant discard a card, draw two cards? Can't remember what it's called right now. Doesn't matter. Doesn't see any play. So so Warlord's Fury. You know, we have two functionally identical cards. One is Warlord's Fury that gives your creatures first strike. The other one is Crash Through that gives your creatures trample... I'm trying to understand if there's a competitive advantage to playing one over the other, because I see Warlord's Fury as sort of the card that most people are going for. The only thing that I could really come up with was Incidental First Strike might help your phoenixes survive combat a little bit more often. Sure. Is there anything else that I could be missing?
2: Maybe it's good in the mirror, because of that mm-hmm. that thing that you're saying. So... I guess that could yeah, be how people yeah. ended up there. It's like my phoenixes get your through your phoenixes. If I play War, Warlords Fury, um, that makes some For sense. Sure. I, I was gonna ask you the same exact question, but that's literally the only case I can come up with where it's good.
1: Yeah, I feel like these cards are so disposable, like those red cantrips. Like I was watching Gabe Nassif stream a little bit uh this weekend. There was like some arena open type thing. And he was playing the mirror, surprise. Um, and both he and his opponent were sort of just casually throwing these spells away early to cycle into new cards, just to sort of like set up a better turn or a turn that can go off. It's like, I think they're just very Mm -hmm. cheap and disposable cantrip spells is the idea.
2: Yeah. That's the move that you do generally, even when mono red prowess was a big thing, you know, you would, you would, you would be fine playing crash through on turn one just to cycle it. It's not, it's not a big deal. Um, The one other thing that's really interesting about these is it Phoenix stacks to me is that all, all the lists that I'm seeing right now, are running some amount of main deck color hose blue instant so a couple of them seem to have multiple copies of mystical dispute main there's even one here that has aether gust and mystical dispute main uh which is also pretty interesting to see i mean those are super powerful cards but i guess when you have those extra spaces opened up by brainstorm being gone you kind of wonder do i just try to put more cantrips in or do i put in a little bit more interaction and so people are doing a little bit of both
0: i think mystical dispute in particular is just excellent right now when Just Guy Control is the most popular deck in the format yeah, and it's so important to answer those occasional turn three Magma oh my God. No, the turn three Planeswalker that hoses Cantrips. Oh, that, that hoses Narset? Yeah, Narset yeah. You, you need to deal yeah. with Narsets. And I also, I think mist- trading a mystical dispute for an expressive iteration is usually really good if not important just because mm. expressive iteration drawing you two cards is kind of the glue that holds together all these blue decks right now and it's one of the reasons that these decks are still good in a post-brainstorm environment. So being able to cut down their free
2: two-for-ones is one of the best reasons to play a main deck, Mystical Disputes, I found. Yep. Yeah, I mean, what if expressive iteration turns out to be the problem all along? Dun, I don't know. Dun, if I'd dun, that right. <laughs> all
0: right, last deck that had at least five copies in these events, just under 9% of the tournament meta, Grixis,
2: Dragonstorm. Yeah. Talk to me about this deck. It's a deck. Is this just a different version of Jeskai that just uses Dragonstorm instead of Jeskai? It is not. I mean, Dave, this
1: does have Blade Wing the Risen (laughs) instead of Torrential
2: Gearhulk. It's very similar. you know. You know what I'm saying.
0: I would argue that it's a different version of Velomachus Turns. Okay. In that it's a graveyard combo deck that wants to use Mizzic's Mastery to close the game out. Yeah. It I can runs do it faithless looting, too, it, right? Yeah, so, so it runs all these like discardy pitch cards, such as faithless looting, um, sometimes Prismari command, other you know two mana instances sorceries that basically cycle cards from your hand, let you draw extra cards, to put a dragon storm into your graveyard, that then you target with the Mizzix mastery, mastery, and then with storm two you get two dragons, bladewing the risen, and terror of the peaks tends to be the the staple targets for the for the Dragon Storm. Got it. And then you
1: kind and of went from at, there. Look at that dragon. It's got, like, big teeth. Nothing uh,
2: rules. It's like a skeleton dragon. Skeleton dragon it's a, it's a zombie. It's not a skeleton. So oh, it's a zombie. So okay. you're, you're going to have to be a level four cleric to be able to deal with this. Level one turning won't work on it, you know? Yeah. Got it. Yeah, right on. Yeah. I, th- I think there's one thing that's really important or
0: annoying about this deck and this card is that it used to be... Th- this dragon we're talking about, this black, red... Uh, Blade Wing, The Risen, it used to be like an uncommon in paper. And now it's a rare on Arena because it was part of, I think, an anthology. And it's it's an example of an upshift that is reminiscent of Mystical Archives. So yeah, Blade Wing, upshift, notwithstanding. I think this is kind of the de facto graveyard combo deck we have in the format right now. That's using Mizzix Mastery in a, in a way that actually finishes games as opposed to what Jeskai does with it and that's to accrue card advantage, but doesn't necessarily provide a deterministic win on the spot.
2: So Stan, your deck's not here, but does this feel like the general spread of decks that you've been seeing when you play on the ladder? Like, does this feel like the top of the metagame to you, or does anything feel off about this for the, this tournament as far as what you see?
0: So generally, this is pretty representative, except that I encounter a lot of Saltai Ultimatum, which we'll touch on in a second in our winningest decks categories. I see those Ultimatum decks... A ton especially when i was in mythic so you know today or earlier today or yesterday we had the reset uh so i'm back down to platinum nah. but but in platinum it's plenty of phoenix plenty of jund an okay amount of Dragonstorm. also when i'm in diamond i tend to see a lot more bruise and maybe that was because of the timing and the post brainstorm you know format but i was dealing with like a fair amount of risen reef style elemental decks I was seeing a bit of Mardu Shadow decks kind of coming up all the time. Oh, okay. You know, otherwise, I think this is basically the format as I see it.
2: Cool. All right. Well, let's talk about that next tier down and maybe talk about the winningest lists for a moment. Yes. So this sample
0: is 18 players. And among those, only eight decks made the cut. And the most popular among these, I guess there are two that are very popular. Tied for first place, four copies apiece, Junsack. Jeskai control. The good decks. Mm-hmm. So Jund converted up, Jeskai essentially flat, followed by three copies of Peace, our Is It Phoenix and Dragonstorm. Ooh, oh, no, hold on hold on, hold, on, hold on, hold on. Dragonstorm.
1: So that was uh, definitely an overperformer then, Grix's Dragonstorm.
0: Right, because it went from, you know,
2: 8.5% to just shy of 17%. Yeah, that's good. So we converted up. Guess what's not on this list, everybody? Auras. Auras did not make this list at all. There's zero copies in here of Auras in your winningest decks bracket. Mm -hmm. That makes me sad. I was thrilled to sleeve uh, Auras back up, maybe. Guess not.
0: Well, I think you can.
2: I mean, I guess it's one of those things where it's like, what's the primary primary issue is what is
1: going to be potentially uh, the... Cleric that makes you sacrifice a
2: creature, and then Wraths from Jeskai Control. Yeah, they both seem like kind of tough matchups. The counter spells can be rough too from Jeskai, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. looking really quickly at just all the Orzov players in my pivot table, best record was 3-2, but it is a whole lot of 1-3s and 2-3s. Ooh. Sounds bad. Bump, <laughs> bump, bum, bum. So it must be a guy problem. And Phoenix does have a ton of removal. You know, if they tap out for Core Spirit Dance Run 2, and then they just play a Shock or a Pillar of Flames, that can be a problem. Right. All righty. So we do have... Four decks that were one copy a piece, and they were Gruul Aggro, Mono Black Aggro, the Affirmation Sultai Ultimatum, and Blue White and Soul. Oh man, how far Gruul Aggro has fallen,
1: and even Mono Black, like uh, you know, Mono Black's always kind of been around. There's been like Vampire versions and sort of devotion-y kind of versions that uh, what they finished with the
2: Phyrexian Obliterator. What's that? What's that card? I mean, that's that's the big one that you see sometimes, I guess, in some of these builds, but I've even seen ones that straight up feel like the pioneer mono black sure. deck, which don't kind of ladder up to a threat that big. Yeah.
0: The interesting thing to me about Gruul is that only one person played it in these events, in these four events, and it's the person who went four one um in, in their tournament. So maybe, maybe it's being slept on a little bit. Shane would certainly hope so. <laughs> yes.
1: I mean honestly it's like <clears throat> I mean we're gonna talk about this in a second, right? It's like what we're talking about feels almost academic right now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Be- because of the because of the influx of new cards and new strategies that that's what gonna new come cards? out of there.
2: What new strategies? Oh. What are you talking about? Dave, did you uh, read the dive down notes yet? I don't know. Okay, well, you're in, a, you're in for a shock. We're not just going to retread to this stuff that I was ringing alarm bells about last week, are we? Yes, no. yes, we are, Dave. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> can, can we talk briefly about Sulte Ultimatum? Yeah. Please. Very annoying deck to play against.
2: Sure. I, oh, yeah. If I do say so myself. Hate it, that Emergent Ultimatum.
0: It's really good. It does feel super beatable. And it's one of those decks that I think, especially a control deck can beat if they devote you know, a bunch of sideboard slots to either cards like, um, you know, situational counter magic that uh, makes it, you know, counter target spells that cost four or greater, for instance, or maybe other color hosing effects. But other than that, it's just has this really consistent ramp control strategy where basically you're playing two or more lands every single turn for the first few turns, and then you find an opening to resolve uh emergent ultimatum and then you get like omniscience to start casting cards for free you get Allruns epiphany to take extra turns and make a couple bodies and then you have scholar of the lost drove that also lets you cast an extra spell for free while laying down a 5-5 flyer i think this deck is a little better than it's being represented quite a bit this sultai, sultai ultimatum deck it's not necessarily doing anything super new either I, I don't know. Have you guys encountered it? Do you agree with my assessment that maybe it's actually underplayed? I
2: think that deck is just always going to be pretty good <laughs> in a lot of different ways because it's super powerful and it just has a great a great payoff. And, you know, there's always going to be someone fro- floating around trying to p- play the big spell Sultai deck because there's a lot of good spells that fit in that shell. And yeah. so it's just, um, it's, it's going to be around. Certainly, I've tangled with it a bunch of times and hated it each time. So... If this is what the format
0: looks like now, the way I really wanted to close out this breakdown section is to kind of pose this question of what we could or should be looking out for in Historic Horizons. Oh, what? Historic Horizons. Historic what? In Historic Horizons. Uh. This new digital-only reprint plus set coming to Arena. Okay. Coming to a dive-down section near you. What we could or should be looking out for. I heard it's got
2: 31 digital-only cards, (laughs) Stan. (laughs) (laughs) yeah historic horizons you mean um god i i've lost historic
0: horizons jumpstart historic horizons what we could or should be looking out for basically within these these pillars of the format as we see them so i broke out the pillars into your aggro decks things like um gruel elves angels which we didn't talk about because those are typically best of one decks on the ladder but auras phoenix mono black what do they potentially need to either improve or maybe get usurped from their position in the in the format so yeah i'm thinking maybe cards that let them close out faster and 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 i should also preface that these are the things that maybe we can think about as we're evaluating some of these cards um which may or may not be familiar to us from paper play right Mm -hmm. but in aggro decks like are we looking for things that might help us close out faster or recover from sweepers that these control decks have plenty of. Uh, or maybe even get more resilient against grindy strategies that can win some attrition games. That I don't think all of these aggro decks have. Auras can sort of do that because it's also a Lurus deck. But, you know, elves and angels, sometimes they lose to a sweeper.
1: I think uh, also be looking for like card selection and card draw for you know, aggro decks always want some way to, you know, keep, keep getting your threats onto the board, draw mm-hmm. into more, filter the top of their deck.
0: Interesting. Um, another bucket I have here are Luris decks. So things like Auras, Arcanist, Mono Black, and your occasional Death, Shadow, Bruise. I'm wondering if they're going to get any new tools to grind with, right? I don't think we expect something like Mishra's Bauble to enter the format. I, it would be shocking if it did. It would but, be shocking, but you never—you
2: just never know. You what's really coming. don't,
0: yeah. But in in lieu of Bobble, will they get anything else that helps push these Luris decks to grind more frequently in a way that's unplanned for the variety of decks that exist in this Luris bucket? Okay. Speaking of speaking of Luris, we got other graveyard decks. You know, Phoenix and Dragonstorm are graveyard decks that don't run Luris, so I wonder if they might, or maybe if we can look out for stronger graveyard payoffs better answers to graveyard hate or spell hate, uh, and even more versatile threats that let you play around graveyard hate. So if your opponent lays down a cage, maybe you can still execute a plan that doesn't necessarily slow you down.
2: Yeah, I mean, I heard careful study was going to be in in, uh, Jumpstart. I'm just kidding. Dave, I would love that. Could you imagine Phoenix if they're like, yeah, we banned Brainstorm, but now we've we've printed careful study, so you can have that and Faith is Looting. Mm-hmm. The control decks we basically have two of them between
0: Jeskai and Sultai as these top tier control decks mine hasn't really picked up yet but will they maybe get new tools in other colors that can push them outside of the blue white shell or the blue black blue green shell that we have in Sultai so maybe something that makes is it more viable maybe something that makes a non blue control deck more viable that could even be better threats. Or more deterministic finishers for the ultimatum packages, or even if if I get my way, better counter magic. Memory lapse is great, but I would love a remand or a counterspell or an archmage's charm that used to be in a in, in modern horizons.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a reprint I would be okay with, that, just that'd be philosophically. Fun, right? But yeah,
0: yeah. The last two here are ramp decks, so Sultai as well as the colorless ramp deck. Could they find? Stronger payoffs, faster ramp tools, or maybe even additional ways to use a ton of mana. If they're going to make it, is Ultimatum always going to be the best way to spend it, or Ulamog, or Ugin? And then, last but not least, the mid range decks. In this category, I pretty much just have Jund and Arcanist. And you can maybe make an argument for some other decks to, within that mid range bucket, but are they going to find more ways to generate card advantage? or additional threats, or just better interaction, other than, you know, Fatal Push, or Blood Chief's Thirst, or, you know, cards that are basically Shock or Stomp.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that this was a great refresher on just where Historic is right now. I do wonder how much we're going to be seeing these decks just become completely outmoded or completely morph into other things, because, you know, for me, I think that it's like aggro decks, it becomes about like, okay, there's general things that are good about the shell, Mm-hmm. Right, that you could improve probably, and so you know something as tricky as auras might just get totally outmoded by stuff as powerful as what's going on in in historic horizons. But maybe when you look at stuff like gruel or or elves that are decks that have a different type of synergy, you know that they might just get more powerful cards that just make them better and push them into the next. Thing. I think that with the graveyardy, cheaty, rampy decks kind of things, those could just be totally different decks depending on what cards are in here because those cards are, those kinds of decks are often so reliant on a specific like set of cards that have a really powerful synergy that something might come around and just place pressure on that type of deck to just be a completely different set of synergy cards. Right. Like, what if suddenly it was like, oh, you can make Adnaws in in historic, you know what i mean? Like that's a totally different kind of vibe combo deck than than these cards are, even mm-hmm. though sometimes they kind of play like combo decks. Sure. And then mid-range, yeah, of course it's going to be like are the mid-range cards going to be good enough to make them even a factor in a format that's as powerful as what this turns out to be? That's that's the thing that i think is the big question for me there. But there's a lot of decks here. There's a lot of decks on this list that have been decks in historic for a long time. And so yes. it's interesting to see to see us kind of be like, okay, here's where the metagame's been for like three or four months. And now we're going to have something totally, totally new because this infusion of cards is like, you know, it's 400 new cards, basically, 375 new cards. So we'll see. It's a whole set or really a set and a half kind of of cards. I, th- I think you bring up a good point that
0: even though we have some of these post-archive decks like Phoenix and Just Sky. Gruel, Auras, um, you know, arguably Death Shadow, Arcanist, of course. Like a lot of those decks existed before the archive and kind of have endured. And I think that speaks to their relative t- power level. And at this point, the Horizons formats would have to be very disruptive and very strong, I think, to kind of dethrone some of these mainstays. Certainly possible, but I think that's kind of the, the looming question about the impact of the format
1: yeah that's the the weird thing right is like i think we're i mean we're kind of skipping into the dive down segment already but like the 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 power level of the anthologies and the power level of some of the jumpstart cards and things like that of all and the and the mythical mystic archives have already kind of like stress tested historic against modern power Mm -hmm. level cards Mm -hmm. but we are entering a, a, a time when we were, just, we were just saying, hey, these cards that were designed for Modern, and eh, we're going to see how they do in uh, Historic. And that's going to be a, a new stress test and a new way for people to experiment with deck building and, and see what can stand up to that or what can incorporate that. And I think that's uh, potentially exciting, all things considered.
0: Yeah. All right, before we just backdoor into this dive down, how about we take a very quick break, catch our breath, have a sip of water. And then, when we return, we are going to talk about historic JumpStart Horizons digital set of the future. <laughs> Stay with us.
1: All right, and we're back. And as we've not even we're not even hinting here, we've been pretty overt. The the dive down segment today is all about. Jumpstart Historic Horizons. I think uh, it's safe to just call it Historic Horizons or uh, Historic. Be ready to spend some wild cards because last week we mentioned this. There was an early leak of Historic Horizons. um, And of course, the day after we record, we got the full actual
2: article explaining what the set is, what the mechanics would look like, and more. Yeah, but I just got to say... We were going to record some, some emergency podcast content to put onto last week's episode, but then we kind of felt like all of our speculation turned out to be true. Yeah. And so we just said, why bother appending it? It was kind of what happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: We were right. We're always right. Uh, Dave, Dave is right, especially. Um, and so, okay, what the set is, right? It arrives on August 12th. It's going to add 372 cards from the Modern Horizon sets, and I, and I believe others? Like, it's not just Horizons, right? It says and others. I haven't been keeping a close eye on that yet, but yeah. And then exactly 31 brand new cards that are digital only. They have not been printed before in any way, shape, or form. uh, On this arena-only release, of course, because that's where Historic lives. That's where these cards will live. Um, There's not all new cards. There's actually 767 non-land cards in Historic Horizons in total. So you're going to be opening stuff... If you decide to open these jumpstart packs and play the jumpstart events, you're going to be opening stuff you already have on Arena, probably. Uh, apparently, there's some pretty decent dupe protection here. So hopefully we're not getting like yet another version of Duress or mm-hmm. <laughs> like yet another version of Shock into your uh, your Magic Arena library, I think. I think it's just going to sort of move your your uh, vault up a little bit.
0: Yeah, I believe they specified that it's going to be the last printed version of the card. So it's quasi-dupe protection.
1: Okay, that's something I guess. Yeah, they yeah. couldn't possibly see if you already have other versions of duress. They only can check the most recent version, of course. No, the five um,
2: the five versions of duress that I have, including archives, yeah, etc. Yeah, right. etc. <laughs>
1: uh, the previews recently began, and of course, uh, Will, thankfully to uh, nice to us, right? It's going to finish a few days after we record this episode, so we can't talk about every spoiled card here. And also, it's actually surprisingly challenging to kind of get a decent version of what's been spoiled like what's new to arena like i I can't find a filter anywhere that's like hey here's all the new cards so it's been a a bit of a challenge actually trying to to filter through the 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 jumpstart pack list and things like that to to kind of see what's going on but uh, mtg rocks has been helpful mtg goldfish has been helpful so thanks to those kind of sites scryfall of course all that kind of stuff So the way this is going to be released is through the Historic Horizons Jumpstart events on Arena. So it's not something you can like go purchase a digital box or digital packs of, exactly. Beginning on August 12th, these Horizon events begins. You can pay 2,000 gold or 400 gems, and you randomly get assigned three packs out of the 46 thematic pack variants, and you can pick two of those, and I believe each of them contain 12 cards. And as we mentioned, some are going to be ones you already might have. Some will be these new cards that are being added to historic slash arena. Hilariously, even the jumpstart packs have variants. Mm -hmm. Some cards are more rare than others. So you might get like a certain blue mythic or a certain blue rare, like in one of the packs. So it's kind of, kind of tedious, but you know, you are opening things. We love that RNG. Just give us, give us variants. This does not advance your uh, does not does not advance your rare your uh, excuse me your wild card counter I imagine so and after all this perhaps more importantly the thirty one brand new cards feature mechanics that can only work in the digital environment of Arena as Dave mentioned last week as sort of overhearing or reading about or people hinting at these are cards that have mechanics that essentially can't work in the paper environment. So I think it makes sense for us to dive into these mechanics now, and I'll just use the exact language from the announcement article. Uh, And so we, let's start with seek seek is uh, like, like I said, here's the language from this article, powerful tutors grab a random card from your deck that matches specific criteria, no shuffling and no time spent looking at options. It just grabs a card that works out of your deck and the game keeps moving. So here's an example. Manor Guardian, two and a black for a demon, four, three. That's actually pretty good stats for a black, two and a black, mm-hmm. excuse, two in a black creature. Uh, when Manor Guardian dies, each player seeks a non-land card with mana value two or less. So Manor Guardian dies, you and your opponent both have a card with mana value two or less from your deck just appear in your hand. It just is a random card that matches the criteria you're not going into your deck you're not you're not scrolling through the cards you're just
2: getting something appearing in your hand yeah it's interesting the the way that the language is written around this because this is not really a tutor effect because it pulls a random thing that matches the criteria out of your deck. So it's yeah. like, I, I do think that what, what's going to happen with Seek is there's going to be, you know, they're playing around with lots of different things. There's a the mana value one, like you pointed out. There are ones that grab specific types of creatures. There are ones that grab, you know, lands. Like there are different, different things that they do. Um, I do think that there'll be people that try to build some decks that really take advantage of, of this kind of mechanic, or one of these mechanics in the same way that, for example, people take advantage of Cascade, where they yep. know exactly what they're going to get every time because, for example, some card is the only non-land card in their deck with mana value less than two for some reason. Or it's the only, I think it's a human that seekless the only human in their deck or something like that. I, I imagine that Wizards probably has tried a little bit to make these not too hard or not too easy to make like, I know what card it's going to get to make it too deterministic, but I think that's going to be what the tension is here. I mean, most of these being able to draw a card is good. Being able to draw a specific card is good, and I think if you figure out how to really break it, you're kind of you're kind of really making it happen.
1: For sure, I think that's a cool uh, cool potential option for sure. Like you said, Dave, is like what's my two mana value? You know, mana value two or less card. You know, I can th- I can think about various options that I I know will be good options for me or something like that.
2: Yeah, great. So let's talk about... I'll, I'll take the next one. Yeah, please. Let's talk about Perpetually. Mm. Not Perpetual. Perpetually. Mm. Got make to it, make it an adverb. Uh, so permanently change the characteristics of a card no matter where it goes. No matter what zone it's in. No matter anything. So this is taking advantage of Arena's ability to alter cards uh, with memory across a game. Without having to put counters on them or anything like that. Um, so you can do... Add powerful benefits and unique changes. Add strategies found nowhere else in Magic is how they described it. Shane, I think you mentioned somewhere... And maybe last week that this is something that happens in eternal a lot, which is a game that I think some magic players have dabbled around with here and there. Certainly a bunch of magic players worked on designing it for sure.
1: Yeah. I think it's that, that's a fundamental aspect of that game itself. Like cards just do it. There's no, there's nothing that's like, Oh, this is a perpetual instant that like debuffs something or buffs it. Like cards just maintain stats and keywords between zones. Um, I haven't played Eternal in a long time. Like I was really into it, like the first two or three sets. I made master there a few times. Um, there was always some like fun, broke semi semi broken feeling reanimator loop strategies that like sniffed competitive play when I was into that game. So like, you know, something would get. Uh, either an incremental buff or like one kind of big buff and then the creatures would be maybe they'd be like really cheap in terms of casting costs and so like they could like loop them fairly efficiently and then you'd be having like a 13 to 13 trample flyer type thing just sort of whacking you really quickly and that that was a cool strategy and I'm hopeful actually that Perpetual Perpetual Lee can add something like that like it'd be cool to sort of have like like a like a perpetual scale up. And then like you reanimate back like this, you know, some little random one, one mana value creature. And, you know, it gets, it's, you're slapping in with another scaled up creature type thing. And here's an example is a ethereal grasp is two in a, two in a blue for an instant tap target creature. That creature perpetually gains. This creature doesn't untap during your untap step and pay eight generic mana, untap this creature. Uh, and there's also Davriel's Withering. De- Davriel's Withering is the name of the, the card. It's a black instant. Target creature perpetually gets minus one, minus two. So it's a perpetual debuff no matter what zone
2: the creature exists in. Yeah. And there's going to be some cards for us to talk about quickly there in a little bit uh, that have to do with perpetual, perpetually, and other things that are happening with them.
0: I kind of like this particular mechanic. I mean, it, oh, it's great. It's strictly. User experience, right, just making it a little easier to keep track of things, as opposed to some of the other digital mechanics we're going to talk about, but I think this is one that in theory, it could exist in paper it's just so much yes. easier to execute it digitally that I think it's um, doesn't necessarily break the game on its own
1: yeah, I, like I said, I think like it was an interesting experience in in eternal I think there's interesting options in terms of what it can provide to the game i'm hopeful that there's some some cool little things happen with it. And it doesn't seem like it would be overly annoying. Like Mm -hmm. it does, of course it is a new way for cards to work, but it doesn't necessarily feel like it's going to be like, Oh, my opponent luck sack their way into, you know, the the best possible random card out of their deck or something like that. Mm -hmm. But Stan, tell us about, (laughs) tell us about a mechanic
0: like that. Yes. Conjure. I think it's pronounced Conjure. So what conjure does is that it creates cards effectively out of thin air and they're functionally digital objects that act like any normal card would, but it's not a slot in your deck, of course. So powerful spells and artifacts can conjure up typically very iconic beloved cards that aren't technically within this set. So for instance, you might be able to conjure up something like a tropical island or a ponder or a Stormfront Pegasus, you can't craft those cards, you can't open them in packs, but you will have cards that enable you to create a version of Ponder that will then be in your hand for you to cast. So one example of this is Tome of the Infinite. It's a three mana, two in a blue legendary artifact that has blue, tap, conjure a random card from the Tome's spellbook into your hand, and then that Conjured card perpetually gains. You may spend mana as though it were mana, as though it were mana of any color, to cast the spell. And those are those ten conjure cards: are Light of Hope, Swords to Plowshares, which I think is on arena already from the mystical archive. Mm-hmm. Also, Force Spike, Ponder, Dark Ritual, Duress, Assault, Strobe, Lightning Bolt, Fog, and Giant Growth.
2: Yeah, I mean this this effect is really interesting because it is um it does this card advantage thing but also does this whole thing where it's like you know what specific card you're gonna get and it's a card you generally don't have access to other than through conjure quite frequently. Uh for example, uh you don't have access to Swords and Plowshares other than other mm-hmm. than through this. It's not it's a card that's actually banned because it was in the original Jumpstart set, I think, or Path to Exile was in the original one. Actually Swords is in is archive. In, in archive and band. Yeah. Yes. I mean, same thing with dark ritual and lightning bolt. So it lets you get some powerful spells that you don't actually have access to. Obviously the random part of this particular card is kind of a bummer, um, but there's some other ones that are powerful in the sense that, you know, they can counter an extra land for you.
0: Yeah. You know, the randomness of, of some of these conjure cards is the thing that I think will either make them playable or completely unplayable. And it really depends on how random the effect turns out to be, or rather, like how low the ceiling and how high the floor is. Yeah. Because magic being a game of information and and managing resources, if you're counting on RNG to get you through the game or a match, I think that's more often than not a a losing game. Uh So these contra cards I think are interesting in that they kind of test the limits of this game and this format, but because they're so random and I'm not seeing any ways to break the randomness yet, my expectations for them are pretty tempered. In their, yeah, I mean, in they're their... not
2: all random, though. Like, there's one that conjures a Stormwing Pegasus, which is a good, going to be a reasonable limited card, I think. So, you know what you're going to get every time. Uh, Kiora, the Planeswalker, I was going to talk about a little bit later, but it conjures a Kraken Hatchling that you can later play and sacrifice to turn it into an 8 8 Kraken. Like, there's there are ones that conjure specific cards so they can be part of your plan and they're just really it's just really a way to have card advantage. Then it's sort of like a way to have a token but make you pay the casting cost for the token, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's that one uh, Merfolk that conjures a tropical island, which is just mm-hmm. a, a lot of fun kind of a callback. But I mean that that can be a decent card to help fix your mana. I mean it's a one mana card that fixes your mana and gets you a dual land, which seems quite good, really. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential with this kind of stuff. The random ones less so than I think the ones where you know what's happening for sure. Okay.
1: And there's also kind of like mechanics that don't really cleanly fit into any name, right? It's just sort of random, like Davriel Soulbroker. And essentially <laughs> this is like that unset Urza planeswalker where you had to go to like a special website <laughs> to see what see what he did. Uh Davriel Soulbroker is two black black with a four a four loyalty walker. Um the plus one and the minus three are normal. So until your next turn, whenever an opponent attacks you or planeswalkers, you control, they discard a card. If they can't, they sacrifice an attacking creature. The minus three is target creature perpetually gets minus three, minus three. Here's <laughs> here's the weird stuff. The minus two. Accept one of Davriel's offers and then accept one of his conditions. Uh, there are a lot of offers and a lot of conditions. I think there's eight of each. Actually, I'm not going to eat up like three minutes of time reading them all. Mm -hmm. But basically, you get to choose from three of the options that are displayed to you randomly. And so here's like a few of them. Like the offers, like draw three cards. You get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus two, plus zero. Uh, Conditions are bad things like you lose six life or you sacrifice two permanents. So you can see how those are fairly aggressively negative uh for a minus two, especially. So the balance between the strength of the offers and the weaknesses
2: of the conditions would be something you you balance there. Yeah. I, I think that these are going to be tough to figure out what to do with. Like that card seems medium powerful, I guess, just because the random list is so harsh.
1: Yeah, it's I don't I don't think this is going to end up being a playable planeswalker, but it just sort of is a pretty good example of the kind of thing they're going to be doing, which is like this card can't exist in paper because it's too much text and it's random. So like, you know, you could maybe have like a cheat sheet where it's like, here's a chart of what happens when you roll a die 20. And if you roll this and you get this and then, you know, but it's just, it's so onerous in a non-digital method that it can pretty much only exist in an arena Mm -hmm. as such. So I'm feeling like we, we kind of, we, we didn't have confirmation on what was happening last week. So we couldn't really talk about this too much, but I think we should just address this like digital elephant in the room so we can just move on get this out of our system and then actually talk about the impact of historic horizons and the cards hopefully on the format right like let's let's just let's just do it we have to do it uh, every, we know that every other podcast you listen to has already done it but we'll we'll do it a little bit because we got to do it all right um dave was getting at this last week i'm pretty apprehensive and I, and and fundamentally, I'm not really I'm not really happy about the creation of digital only mechanics, and it's not because I don't think they're going to be fun. It's not because I don't think they're going to be interesting, because I do think they have potential to bring new deck building ideas into play, like like that seeking type thing. Like if you could seek certain mana value two or less cards, you can maybe have good spells of that. Like it's some kind of weird Lurist deck, right? Where it's like I know that. I have to design my deck in a way to take advantage of this card or these cards. But I for me, I do feel like this is quite possibly the most impactful decision that Watsi has made since the creation of the reserve list. Or like if you know, whatever decision you think was the most impactful to Magic in the last 15 to 20 years. And the reason I'm saying this is because I think this is the beginning. And I truly think this is just the beginning of the evolution of arena into video game magic rather than the digital emulation of paper magic.
2: Yeah, one thing I would hope is that this is really the beginning of the evolution of historic into the video game magic. That's that's the, that's, that's the, who knows, that's the thing, right? It's like hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, that is where I'm holding on to hope still at this point because, um, boy, it's going to be crazy if they start doing uh, standard style Formats with digital only mechanics, because then then where are we going to be at? You know. Yeah. I mean, and and I'm
1: not just saying that as like a I hate change type thing, like. But the the thing really for me is that it's always been of tremendous importance to the game that we have a digital emulation of paper magic, like uh, Magic Online attempted to emulate the economic model and the gameplay mechanics of paper. Arena started changing the economic model, but at least kept the gameplay pretty much the same. I mean, I guess you could say that best of one was a potentially more fundamental change than almost anything. Uh, But the creation and implementation of digital mechanics that can't be played in paper is like the next step in the evolution of digital magic, right? And that's kind of a discouraging thing to me because I want Arena to be another way for me to play what I consider to be the game of magic. And now, like at least for historic, it's just no longer that. Like it's a way to play historic, which is like the digital Magic collectible card game for me, mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing. But I think I'm allowed to say it's a thing
2: I don't like, or maybe I, I don't think I like. Yeah, it's gonna be t- it's gonna be one of those things where I'm like, am I gonna try it? Am I gonna try it anyway because I just love Magic, and so I'm gonna come and and go for it regardless? Or is this gonna be the place where I'm finally like, you know what, this is too far for me, and I'm gonna become even more modern guy, you okay. know? Yeah. I agree. Stan, what are you thinking?
0: I I agree that it's a watershed moment for sure. I I am more wait and see than you are, Shane, in that you're pretty explicit that you think this is the beginning. And I think that this is an experiment. And if it doesn't go well, I don't think they're going to keep doing it because it's such a big monumental shift from a product that still sells so well in paper. And I think magic being a paper product at its heart is still central to business of the game and the design of this game. So I think that's pretty key. And um I mean look, if it ends up sucking and ruining historic for us and we no longer have fun playing this format and and talking about on the podcast, then it'll just be one more format that we never play or talk about. Of which there are many. So (laughs) I think it's true. You know, I feel like we don't have a lot to lose per se. And I also think that even if worst case scenario, this is kind of uh you know, where historic jumps the shark. I don't think this is the last new format that they're going to add to Arena. You know, what we're not going to talk about today, but I'm just going to mention for my point is that they said they're going to add Historic Brawl as an evergreen Arena format. And I think we're going to continue to see more and more of those emerge on Arena as it becomes a more centralized place for people to play digital magic, whether or not MTGO continues to exist. And I think eventually, whether or not Pioneer comes to the platform or... know, maybe in my wildest dreams, modern comes to the platform, I think we can potentially still find ways to enjoy Arena and it as a digital platform, even if Historic isn't the place that we want to spend our time. At least that's
2: my hope. So we'll see. Yeah, I I mean, I I was just enjoying Historic so much for a while there that I'm like, just the last couple of months have been kind of punishing. But I think that that's a thing that people who play a lot of Arena and get really invested in Arena are used to, you know, and... (laughs) It's tough to be a whale on arena, I think, is what I've seen like Brian Gottlieb say on Twitter a couple of times, where it's like, if you're into it as casual ish, maybe you have a couple of different decks, but it's really hard to be a person who's like, yeah, I want to get invested and, and compete really hard and always have the best deck because they're just going to change it so much all the time, I feel like. But that's maybe a topic for another day.
1: Yeah. Like, I don't want to beat like the economic dead horse again, but. The, the economics here do kind of stink. Uh,
2: everybody, <laughs> like, all you need to know is that this is bad economically. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be hard to buy all the cards that you want from this set. Um, and that's just the bottom line, right, Shane? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just the kind of thing where we, I think we're going to have to be reactive. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, I don't think we can, it's not the kind of thing like you can even do maybe when we say bought into a anthology. And said, let's let's try out Death Shadow. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, do you know what I mean? Like this is not gonna be the kind of thing where I think we can realistically be like, let's try out X, Y, and Z because that'll burn through you know twenty twenty-five wild cards, and then you're like, Oh, this deck is not good. <laughs> and then like a week and then like a week later the the decks that are decent start appearing and then two weeks after that the decks that beat those start appearing and i think that it's hard for, as a content creator i wouldn't say that we're like tier one historic arena streamers or anything like that but we do want to stay
0: tier zero baby
1: <laughs> i thought i thought s tier was what you want to be these days yeah exactly so, yeah, I mean, I just, it's, I, I I do worry that it's going to be hard to sort of say, I want to play a lot of different things and test them out. I just have to like be wait and see and be like, okay, well, what's the next Jun Sack? Or like, you know what I mean? Or like, what's the Jeskai control looking like? Or it's just going to be another way to punish experimentation because it's even harder as the card pool extends wider
0: and wider. That's true. Should we take a second to talk about what is perhaps the best way to get cards for this set because what I can't actually figure out and I would love your opinions on, is it worth it to spend the gold or gems to like play these two pack queues and, and go through these events for as long as they're on the platform, which will probably be only a month or so. And then anything that you don't have, you supplement with wild cards or do you maybe buy up a bunch of packs from older sets to grow your collection of the existing sets in arena while also generating wild cards and maybe even growing your vault a little bit. I
1: think it probably depends on where you are, right? Like we've been keeping up, I think pretty well in terms of our historic collections where we're maybe like playing enough to get what I think I usually end up with like maybe 70 to 70 to 80% of all the cards in a set, like sort of end up in my collection by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And that's through like maybe buying a box or something like that and then playing the whole the whole time and trying to max out the reward system and whatnot. But with this like let's say you have done that and you're like, well I don't want to, I don't need to buy anything more like I don't need to open up adventures in the forgotten realms or something like that right And so uh, yeah like so do you want to buy more stuff? like do you just want to buy packs to get wild cards? do you have time to draft? that's that's a different way of engaging with the game altogether. If you like draft and have time for draft and want to, uh, you know, spend that time to to build up your wild card collection, but I don't have time for that. I'm playing mm-hmm. modern. I'm making a podcast. I'm working. I'm you know doing all that kind of stuff. I want to be efficient with my time and my money. Yeah. And like right now, it's like I don't even want to buy Adventures
2: of the Forgotten Realms. I don't think the set's very good. I don't want the cards for Historic. Yeah. I mean, if we think about it one way, you know, a lot of times what we would do is buy twenty thousand gems. And just put it into a set, right? We buy two of the fi- the forty five pack bundles, which comes out to about the same amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. And then open up all those packs. So and if, it was glorious. It was glorious. It's a lot of fun. If you if you think about Jumpstart in a similar way, you said that it costs forty gems to get into these queues. Yeah, four hundred gems and two thousand gold. So basically, it's like buying packs. Right. But you're so,
1: buying, like you're buying. You don't get to advance your pack little rotator for the wild card for one,
2: right? Mm, mm-hmm. But you get so that's fifty entries. If we were to put the same amount of money as we put into sets in the previously, fifty entries, and so if you get two different packs to choose from, you know it's a hundred packs of jumpstart sort of for the same amount for twenty thousand gems. Um, you yeah. know, I I I don't personally the, the big thing about arena though is that it's really hard you know you don't usually open the cards that you want and so the wild cards no. are really important yes and so i guess if you were going to put a bunch of money in and go look i'm going to buy into jumpstart for the same thing i've bought into other sets for uh maybe it's worth it to do that just because it actually is kind of more cards than i was thinking it was originally but you know so few of these cards are going to be cards that i think you actually want to play with that it makes me um you know Without the wild cards, it is a little bit like lighting some gems on fire. Yeah, it's tough.
1: I think it's just going to be a matter of, like, hopefully you've been saving some wilds uh, for the the value commons and uncommons. And then maybe you get to, I mean, like I said, I'm going to have to wait and see to, to what I'm going to use my wa- uh, rares and mythics on. Because I don't want to I don't want to burn them on an experiment. Yeah. Yeah so yeah i mean i feel i feel bad for the people who are like hardcore historic invested because i do think that this will be a cost sink
0: you don't know have we don't have to feel bad for them if, if they're if they're doing what they love more power to them
1: yeah i mean games are expensive they can be yeah so
0: let's talk about cards
1: yeah please let's talk about the cards please talk about the cards so what's a good magic card guys ranger captain of eos okay before we get into the individual cards i think it's (laughs) i think it's tempting to kind of be like this is gonna fit here this is gonna fit here this might make auras better like but i think that i think historic is going to be turned upside down in such a fundamental way that i'm just more interested in talking about like raw power level and like synergy potential and what we know is kind of out there than just kind of being like well i think this is gonna fit into this
0: totally with you and and the other thing that i'm thinking about is whether or not any cards have room to breathe in historic in a way that they did not in modern you know so just as a random example necrogoif is in this set obviously doesn't see any constructed modern play whether or not cards like that might potentially be more playable in historic because the overall power level of that set is so different or the overall power level of the format is so different not having fetch lands and you know so many other staple powerful cards from the last 18 years of the game
2: yeah it's so funny that the power level of historic is like sometimes more powerful than modern like it's sometimes like leg i've heard people say it's legacy with a bad mana base which is kind of true sometimes and then other times it's like hi i'm playing a pioneer deck and then other times it's like oh i have a standard deck where i just put one card one extra card into it that's legal and historic and the deck still competes so it's really hard to pin down i think ultimately what that, uh, what the power level really is. To me, it feels like with this infusion of modern horizons cards and other cards that I think we're going to get closer to something in between pioneer and modern ultimately, but let's, let's kind of see where it goes.
1: Yeah. And for, and forgive us, though, I don't think we have time to read the text on these cards either. So yeah. you just to, if, if you know what they are more power to you,
2: if you don't uh, check out a website, there's, there's a few of them. All right. So the first card we have on our list is Ranger Captain of Eos, a card, I think, we're familiar with, right? People have played we've played it in lots of different decks. In modern it's it's seen play in Mardu Shadow. It sees play in Heliod, like it's seeds play in other decks where you want to search up Walking Ballista. Uh what do we think about this card?
0: It can fetch Death Shadow, but I don't think we have a ton of great one drops in the format. So I think in Modern we saw it being pretty narrow. I think part of that is the mana cost and part of that is the the tools that go around it. I think it's Still going to be fairly narrow.
2: Yeah, I mean, we don't have access to Walking Ballista in this format, right? It was not printed right. when Kaladesh came out. I guess we'll see if they change their minds. Like, It seems like the, a powerful card they can make a splash with in this set. I don't think that they're going to bring it, because I think there's reasons that they didn't bring it into the format. But um, I think getting Death Shadow is actually pretty good. You know, the Death Shadow decks were Orzhov for a while. They played Ranger Captain of Eos as a way to search up two shadows or search up a shadow and that uh, Fairy Godmother as card that gives a card flying, so you could kind of go like play a shadow and then give it a flying with an adventure, um, all off of a range off of a, a ranger of Eos. So uh, I think this card is good, and its its sacrifice ability is also often quite good. So I, I think this could find a home for sure.
0: It is another tool to give white text access to a two for one, which mm-hmm. I think is in itself powerful. That maybe whether it's just shadow or something else, like going into a white or mardu mid-range deck might be good enough
2: yeah spicy card that this can search up that i think sometimes people forget about in historic the life gain decks are quite good in historic and this card can get sarah ascendant mm-hmm. if you wanted to do something like that plus being able to protect your team from a wrath also seems pretty good mm-hmm. with decks like that so just something to keep in mind
1: next card I, i'm i'm hyped about this one Esper it's a you know one of our new Modern horizons two, uh, the white one drop artifact uh Human, something like that. It's an artifact human. Yep. Yeah. I mean, this is a solid, cheap one mana value, you know, in white, it does a bunch of little things that you want. It's kind of, it's like one of those cards that doesn't make new decks, I don't think, but like it makes other decks better. Like, you know, maybe this is just another piece of tempered steel,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: artifact synergy. I mean, I think this could be a piece that goes into humans. Honestly, if there's a humans tribal deck that starts to emerge a little bit, especially with oh, a, yeah. one of the other cards we're going to talk about in a minute, I think that, you know, there's hardened scales is in this set. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Maybe there's something going on there with some modular cards and, and hard hardened scales. Um, you know, yeah. lots of stuff, lots of possibilities. We got,
1: we got a couple more artifact modular creatures like Arkbound mouser Arkbound prototype. Uh, I mean, not to spoil it, but Zabaz is in this too. Um, so yeah,
0: I think Sentinel is a huge addition. I oh, think yeah. I think as good as it is in modern, just by itself without needing other cards in a deck to be like effective, like it doesn't care about uh, Mishra's Bauble, for instance. And right. I think because it's just so good on its own and potentially so versatile, I think this could be a new historic staple.
1: Yeah, it's a solid. It's a very good one drop to get. Very good get for white.
0: Yeah, new best color. Another great get for white, I think. Is Restoration Angel.
2: You think it's a great gift? Interesting. Okay. I mean, this card sees
0: modern play to this day, right? It's Mm. in like random Kiki Cord creature combo decks. Um, We know that there are some, uh, you know, like there are a fair amount of 80 card blink decks in Historic that kind of come and go with the format. They're not as popular these days, but they have in the past. Restoration Angel, not only is it a really powerful effect because it blinks other creatures, but it's an angel too. And a lot of the, creatures in the angel deck have powerful ETB effects that I think this could be a new boon to that deck as well.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. You know, this is a card that has one of those distinctions of being like one of the best cards in standard when it was in standard and extremely, extremely good in early modern for like three months. Right. And then, and it was just played for value sometimes at the beginning of modern, like there was a Jeskai control list that was just kind of like a restoration angel control list like you know you would get up to cryptic command keep your angel up and then be able to do all kind you know that was your kill condition um i feel like it's a card from a different time and this is one card that i feel a little bit like you know notwithstanding what you just said stan because i think you had some good points about where it goes especially with yorian it hasn't had a chance to play be played with yorian much in modern um Maybe there's a home somewhere like that or in Angels. I worry a little bit about like this is a card that's gonna look really powerful and then it's gonna be just left behind by the format being way powerful than it actually is. Like this is almost like a standard plus card in my mind sometimes. Yeah,
1: I, I think I'd have a hard time imagining Resto doing a lot for the format, but I'm fine with being wrong. Do some resto combo on me.
0: You know, we do have ephemerate, which I think is awesome, but in addition to that, we're also about to get Timeless Witness. So I think we are potentially, even within the set, getting new cool spells or creatures to flicker with Resto that I think we might not even see the f- full scope of its potential until we actually know about more of the cards within the set that like it's going to be opened in
2: packs with in that
0: event, in that Horizons event.
2: Yep. All right, next up is a big card. And I'm going to mention it, and I'm going to let Shane talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that is Thalia's Lieutenant. One of Shane's favorite cards. Shane, tell us about it. <laughs> uh, I'm unsure on this, but I'm glad it's in the
1: format. Like I think that there are actually enough white based aggressive humans style cards in the format, and I think that there's a deck that's there. It doesn't have to be as good as Modern Humans. Doesn't have to. Doesn't have to involve Aether Vial. Uh, but I think that I think that this card will be interesting but i like, it's like another one of those cards where it's like does a whole i don't think a whole new deck gets created around thali as
0: Lieutenant. it's not that good we're already seeing occasional humans decks in the format because we have general kudro yeah. and with like dire tactics and just so many creatures are incidental humans i know i've encountered random black white humans decks
2: i mean we have and mage which is like if we want to think about cards that are coming straight over from modern that's there um there's a couple other cards from that deck that are available as well. Isn't Kitesail Freebooter is in the format too? So yeah, Sail We got Thalia. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think Humans
0: could be a new aggro deck. Whether or not it's an aggro disruptive deck, I think is really the question.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's,
1: yeah is it just another beatdown deck right. in the format? Right, but could be a really good one thanks to
2: Thalia's Lieutenant.
0: Have you guys ever played with Return to the Ranks? This is a card like I don't know how to evaluate other than maybe being a new way for auras or white weenie decks to beat sweepers in addition to Lurus or if Lurus already gets answered.
1: Dave, I don't remember remember anything
2: in from like M15 playing this, like when we were playing standard, do you? Oh yeah. I mean, this got played in the um, rally, the ancestors decks. So it, I think that this is more of a combo piece than anything else. here and there but um i so i don't think you really run it for value or to like bring back your luris i think it's because you're gonna dump a bunch of stuff in your graveyard and then try to bring back a specific kind of like combination of three or four cards to kill somebody um and i think it can be really good at that especially because it has convoke convoke is just a really powerful mechanic yeah Mm -hmm. so i think this card is the type of card that should be on everybody's radars for sure let's talk about the best color in magic Let's talk about some of these blue cards. Oh, no. <laughs> you
1: know what's weird is, like, in my hunt uh, for four cards to talk about, I felt like I wasn't trying to be mean to blue. I did feel like blue was so far perhaps maybe the least spoiled or the least interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is one of the least spoiled for sure. Maybe the least interesting. Yeah, I think there's a few good ones, though, worth, worth mentioning. What are you liking, Dave? Well, I mean, the first one that I think we should talk about is uh, Thought Monitor from Modern Horizons too, which notable card that has turned up in places where people thought it would not turn up. Yeah. Right? I mean, Thought Monitors really found a home in the food decks, the black uh black blue Urza food builds, as more decay blah 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 decks. <laughs> um where they just <laughs> make <laughs> form for me. As more decay more
0: Anamar, Decay to De Neck Uldekar. Yep, yes, thank so you. That.
2: So it showed up in those decks as a way to get card advantage and also have a an attacker in the air and that's All fine and good. I think that's. It's possible that maybe suddenly we're looking at like cat oven combo with Thought Monitor splashed in it to be able to do some stuff. Or I know that three color decks aren't the easiest things to build in historic. But people do it all the time, and this could be a way th- a way to draw some extra cards, to get uh, an extra attacker in, and just a w- another way to take advantage of a bunch of food tokens and a bunch of uh, wishes ovens. I,
1: mean, I think they're definitely trying to overtly make like an Azorius aggressive artifact deck, and like being able to spam some artifacts, uh, refill with a Thought Monitor, continue on
0: is definitely going to be a thing people try. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, Thought Monitor is interesting. We do have. Like a fair amount of zero mana artifacts. Like we have Ornithopter.
1: Yeah, and you have. What's the, there's the the eggs. The cheap eggs are there. There's just. Uh, I mean, there's Court Homunculus. There's Esper Sentinel. There's. I mean, there's Bomat Courier. If you want to get wild. There's. A, there's a lot of you know artifact aggression here. Tempered Steel was already a playable deck in Historic. I, I think that it. I think they're they're clearly adding red and blue variants on aggressive artifacts in this set.
0: Can I just say on a personal level, Shane, yes. I, I love that you are so interested in this Tempered Steel deck. I can tell that your imagination is captured.
1: I like the best aggressive deck. The best aggressive deck in the format will be the one that I build first on in Historic. So I'm looking to see what's going to be the best aggressive deck.
0: I, I, I just think this is a deck that maybe you and I get to share together because... Temperate Steel, it's like an in-soul strategy. We all know in is one of my favorite decks in Pioneer and just a, a deck that is near and dear to my heart. And yeah, having man. something I mean, that close in this format, I think, is, is exciting. And to hear you even talk about it, like I think it's a little bit against type, and I'm thrilled. I mean, hmm.
1: Stan, we got Rise and Shine, man. We got Rise and Shine. I had to like, I randomly came across it in, a li- in like a list today, but that's the one that's the one in the blue sorcery from MH2 that makes a non-artifact, I mean, a non-creature artifact is a, basically a 4-4 artifact creature. So go ham, make your, make your, uh, make your egg into a 4-4 creature.
0: Right. And, and we always had that three drop from like core 20 or core 21 skilled animator. So we might have, like, an actual list in soul deck now. And who knows? Maybe Thought Monitor will, will get there, too.
2: I mean, you're going to have
0: Darksteel Citadel already, right? I think we have Darksteel Citadel. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember. We do have, like, the art- other artifact land that makes treasure
2: tokens from the Forgotten Realms. No, Darksteel is mm-hmm. not legal and historic. Oh, shoot. I thought it was. Okay. Well, never mind that. that that's going to make the uh, animator deck a bit... The insole deck a bit tougher to use, for sure, because you really want that indestructible threat. But yeah, we'll see. There's a lot of effects now for it.
1: What else do we have? We've got Kiora. Uh, Dave, you mentioned Kiora, the Tide's Fury.
2: Yeah, I mean, just as like a, a digital card that I felt like nobody was really talking about. I just thought this was an interesting four CMC Planeswalker that gets a plus one with a, to make a blocker that you, I mean, you have to pay for it, but you can put it into play. And then the next turn, you can sack that blocker and turn it into an 8-8. Eight eight. Mm-hmm. And that seems reasonably interesting for the casting cost. Yeah. It also permanently bubbles something uh, for one of its effects, which is also a plus, which I think is pretty good, too. What do you mean permanently? I think it's until your next turn. Is that what it is? Did yeah, untap target
0: creature or land, prevent all damage. That would be dealt to and by that permanent until your next turn.
2: Uh, okay, cool. So it's it doesn't have the... Uh, <laughs> What is the word again? Perpetually, Perpe- it's not perpetually bubbled. Yeah, it's just per- it's just uh, for a moment. But that's still a plus one, which is pretty reasonable too, I think.
0: You know, speaking of cards that may have room to breathe in historic that never really got there in modern, I think Bizarre Trade Mage is really interesting.
1: Yeah, that's like that's like the looter kind of thing, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's three mana, three four flyer when it enters, draw two, then discard three. I mean, it casts bizarre
2: Baghdad is what it what it does, Shane. That's what oh, that's think what it's the a bizarre Baghdad, Baghdad effect. <laughs> yeah, it's a bizarre Baghdad Baghdad effect. That's why it's called that bizarre trade mage. <laughs> okay. And um, I thought yeah. it was just strange. <laughs> How bizarre!
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, but yeah, I agree, Stan. I think that this card is you know is a. A pretty gr- great size body it's like yeah. a three cmc three four flyer it's a serendipity and uh yeah it does bizarre baghdad it seems like a, a lot of cool po- potential for sure
0: doesn't a single trade mage let you play free hollow ones like don't you only need to discard three cards to start casting four fours
1: well yeah, if you have three other cards that are hollow ones
0: right yeah fair you are drawing two so you're like most of the way there sure dare to dream <laughs> yeah yeah. So here here's one that I actually want to talk about. It's Ninja of D Powers, which is it's a popper all-star. I think this is a very beloved card. Um Absolutely. And I, yeah, I I wonder if this is something that like maybe helps those old mono blue tempo decks come back or just some other aggro e blue deck generate cards. You know, Fairy Seer is in this format. I think Fairy Seer is kind of a bad card, but it's it's cards like Fairy Seer, just like cheap evasive creatures that let you ninjutsu in the ninja of deep powers that
2: i think make this card potentially playable yeah i mean you know you know me i'm just thinking about my the blue tempo deck i used to like to play with like what's that guy ghostly sailor or whatever his name is spectral sailor Spectral sailor, yeah that's a good one uh yeah you've got your your uh your pirate that has a counterspell on a stick siren sport storm tamer yep i kind of think you need blue
0: etb cards like i don't know if to make it even better yeah, yeah. For sure. To to yeah. to make it worthwhile to like put ninja of d powers and like recast cards, right? That's kind of the ideal state. Maybe you have a package here between Fairy Seer and Ninja of D powers that we can build around.
2: I was looking at Fairy Seer trying to remember if there are a lot of other fairies in this set because Fairy Seer is such a compelling card at one mana that uh, it's another card that never really got a shot out of Modern Horizons 1, but 1/1 one, one flyer for one with that, uh, that Scry two always was something that I was like, can we just pump it a little bit? Can we use it as a wizard payoff? Like it's a very, w- fairy, very yes. serious a wizard too. You can play Counter Spell and uh, Lightning Bolt
0: and Lightning Bolt are two favorite y- cards, Dave. I'm always looking for it. <laughs> I'm always looking for it.
1: Okay, I feel like we should talk about Tomb of the Infinite. Actually, I think this might. I mean, is this an intentionally playable card? That's the digital one we talked about that makes a one of one of ten cards from its spell book. I don't know. Probably not. Some of them are so bad. Shame. Yeah. Some of them are just so bad. You're right. They're just. It's probably not
0: playable. Let's move on. If you can make it work, good on you. It's just so random. Like we. I don't want to cast. I don't want random effects in my resource battles.
1: No, especially for the cost of three and having to untap with it and, you know, and pay mana. Yeah. You're like, cool, it's turn five. I got a dark ritual. Thanks. Yeah, like, like
0: <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah,
1: You know what would be better than this is anything Search for Ascanta Inca- is doing for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I think the first black card we should talk about is Davriel's Withering. That's the perpetual, you know, single black mana. Uh, what is it? Minus one, minus two? On an instant. Yeah, that's cool. I think this is, like, something in between, like, a fatal push and a path to exile, because, like, it sort of, like, moderately invalidates low-toughness creatures, like, in a perpetually – perpetually – Mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, no, I know this is not Path to Exile, and it's not even Fatal Push, but it's sort of like doing something like that. It's not for, even
0: Reeve's soul.
1: Yeah, but like, I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's it's basically exiling a uh, a Phoenix, right? It's exiling a low toughness, uh, mono black aggro creature or something like that, where it's just like, I'm making you, I'm making your graveyard recursion worse. I'm making, you know, those kind of, th- I'm making your, your, your status on the board worse. So I don't know. It's a cool card.
0: I agree. I mean, like, I really love it against Phoenix. I really love it against, like, Scrap Heaps, Scrounger. I think it's worth noting that it only targets a single creature. So it's not like every copy of Arclight Phoenix has perpetual minus one, minus two. It's just a single digital object. But even that, if you have this and something like Dreadhorde Arcanist or another way to maybe recast this over and over, I can see this being one of those grindy mid-range tools that let you... Eventually, chip away at something that might otherwise be out of reach,
2: yeah, I totally agree, and also guess what this is a combo piece that we'll talk about in a little bit as well.
0: Here's another modern horizons card that we're getting that I think is a big get, but maybe not the right format, and that's Yagma Thran physician,
1: yeah, I mean it has to be like a value piece unless they're gonna spoil some ways to go off with it, like to draw through your deck, like the undying creatures do in modern. Like, I mean, there has to be some kind of way to use it, but it is for mana and you have to be able to do something worthwhile for
2: that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one's tough for me because it's a powerful no mana sacrifice outlet, you know? And so I feel like there's a lot of potential there with cards, some cards that are already in historic anyway. Like I'm thinking about having it in your kind of like Stitcher Supplier kind of shell already, you know, or yeah. having it with Cat, for example. Like, I mean, it's a way to sacrifice a cat if you, oh, want, yeah. to, if you want to go that way instead. So I, I feel like there's some stuff going on with this just because of that and because it draws a card. Like how how about you have this instead of, you know, in the mid-game, in a food list with Cauldron Familiar out, and you're like, I'm just going to sacrifice Cat over and over again.
0: Well, what if, other than Cat, you sacrifice Nether Spirit? Right. right. This is another card we're getting in the set, and that's the three mana 2-2, two, two, where at the beginning of your upkeep, if it's the only creature in your graveyard, you may return it to the battlefield. So I, I, you know, I think it's important to think about these Horizon Packs as many decks, right? They're like limited decks that have been drafted for you. So Yoggmoth is going to have to be in a deck with other cards. And yes, we have deck lists too, but they're going to have to work with other decks in the set. So I think part of the way we can potentially start to measure the impact of these cards is see what else they can work with within the format. And just like Yoggmoth plus Nether Spirit seems really spicy, especially if you can
2: find other ways to control
0: your graveyard.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I just want to mention that Totally understand you can't sack culture familiar over and over again because you won't have any food tokens. But um, I think you could have that. At, you could still have that as a piece in there, and maybe yeah, maybe they're all together with Nether Spirit as well.
1: Let's see some interesting stuff that I noticed. Like one of the things that they're doing is they're injecting some tribal packages, and I think the first one that I noticed was in black, and it's kind of like the zombie package of like undead augur, endling, diagraph, colossus. I mean, fun. Give people some zombies to play with. That's sweet. I did notice today, randomly, uh, that Bone Shards mm. was is now legal in this format. That's a big get for Black Base, sort of Graveyard Recursion, rakdos type things. Uh, I think that's good. Bone Shards is a cool card. It's seeing play out of Modern Horizons 2 in Modern. I think that there's definitely options to...
2: Just have it see play uh, in historic. Yeah, way to kill a planeswalker for one mana and like throw away a stitcher supplier or something is pretty good, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, or another spirit.
2: Definitely, <laughs> even better in this format than probably in modern.
0: Ransack the labs. I think uh, this is one I also wanted to touch on.
2: A new way to
0: fill your graveyard and really give you control over what you put into your graveyard. I think is really interesting.
2: I want. I want to do a little bit more. Now we already have this card. Right? Because this is strategic planning. I, I do think it's a nice card for black decks to have, but some of them might have already been able to run it because it's the same card as strategic planning. It's just black instead of blue. Oh, is it really just a color yeah. shift? Yeah, exact same card.
0: Oh. I never put two and two together.
2: Yeah, but then you gotta play blue, you know, and right. You don't Sometimes you don't wanna to. play blue and there, this is still is a way to feed the graveyard just in black, which I think is good. And this card has seen occasional, occasional play in the era of modern that we're in right now. Yes. Even I've seen it in decks every once in a while. So it might be able to, to be something that you want in, like you said, Arcanist or, you know, with Dragon's Rage Channeler or, or who knows where that goes. Like put it in a Croak's a deck.
0: Find something else to get a Mizzix Mastery payoff. Yep, exactly. Like
2: maybe Dragonstorm wants this. We talk about the actual best color in Magic? Yeah, suddenly the best color in Magic. My favorite color, not really. Red. Yeah, red. We got a f- got a few spicy additions already. And they were cards that I called out specifically last week and said, "Do you want to play with this card in historic?" And you guys were like, "Yeah." And then you were like, "No." <laughs> I never said what? no. I think I said, "Sure." You said sure, but maybe not. I think is what I remember. <laughs> what are the cards, Dave? The monkey's paw curled a little bit. Now, it's not the actual monkey, but it is Dragon's Rage Channeler, which is currently, of course, dominating modern all over the place, thanks to the lovely interaction between it and Mishra's Bauble and cards. Um, what do you think about this? I think this card is going to be great and historic, too, honestly.
0: I, I, I want to hear why you think it'll be great and historic, because I agree with you. I totally yeah. agree with you. I think this is awesome. And I think this would be like the best card in Standard if it was ever printed there. But how do we make it good in Historic? Considering that in every modern deck, it's just like four of these, four baubles, and Luris, and like that's the deck, right? We don't have that here.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things that we're missing, of course, to ma- enable Delirium in Historic. One is fetch lands, mm-hmm. right? So you're gonna play, you're gonna play your uh, Fabled Passage and whatever decks come with this here mm-hmm. the other thing is we don't have bobble mm-hmm. of course so it does make the delirium package more difficult on the other hand we have uh faithless looting which i think is a pretty good card to help enable this even in cards where you're even in decks where maybe you're not just looking for a graveyard based payout or maybe you still are because your rage channeler plus faithless looting lets you do three cards into the graveyard if you want to um, and then the other thing that you have that I think is going to be a big player with Dragon's Rage Channeler is Bomat Courier, which Shane mentioned earlier, which is a creature and an artifact. Yeah. And a notably good card because, in this particular instance, because you can pay to sacrifice it. So if you really need to get it in the graveyard, you can. So it's possible to go turn one, you know, Dragon's Rage Channeler, turn two, Faithless Looting, throw a land of Faithless Looting and a Bomat Courier into the graveyard, and that's Delirium, and you just go from there
1: importantly, you don't, I mean, as we've learned in modern, I don't think you need to have delirium online for dragons rage channel or to be doing something good for you. Yes. Obviously it's better to have it enabled. There's a reason that everyone's running Bobble with DRC is because you would prefer to have it on, but also just the addition of unholy heat is a big reason you're trying to do that as well. So I I do feel like it's a good get, but I do feel like people are going to have to figure out, what are they doing to get delirium? Because otherwise it's like, is this enchantment creature one, one good enough? That's like my, my my surveil enchantment.
2: Right. Totally agree.
0: Yeah. My, my personal expectation is that I think this card is going to be really great in decks that are already graveyard adjacent, but it's not going to do the thing that it's done in modern in like, you know, uh, is it control decks where it makes some, traditionally controlly decks more graveyard adjacent if that makes sense because you don't have as many of those just like free cards that happen to fill up your graveyard the way that bobble does so i can see this maybe being
2: awesome in like
0: a Rakdos deck with croxa or faithless looting uh and maybe a little bit less ubiquitous as we see it in, in modern today
2: yeah, you see it with Arcanist and Stitcher Supplier potentially and builds when it's time to have Stitcher Supplier or not. So like, there's there's a lot of ways to kind of make this happen. I think we got to talk about the other red card now, which I actually think is almost as important in Historic for some reason, and that's Unholy Heat. Yeah. I think good that card. This, this card getting into Historic... So I already thought that we all acknowledge this card super good in Modern. I feel like, for some reason, I, I feel like in... Historic. This might be the card that mono-red decks have been really been waiting for to be good in historic. I could be wrong, but I think having something that can kill a giant creature for one mana is like a a giant incentive. Or Planeswalker. along with yeah, or Planeswalker. That's the other uh, the other big thing for sure.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I th- I think it, however, means that every red deck needs to start running Faithless Looting and like Fabled Passages, right? right. You, ca- you that's kind of the new package the historic package i think would be like faithless looting and uh fable passage just kind of become as ubiquitous as these cards
2: and bowman courier
0: yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah and bowman yeah
2: maybe but probably i mean i'll run those cards all day i have them good thing i've tried them before <laughs> yeah. our wild cards are good good thing dusting doesn't exist oh my god yeah. So anyway, this card makes me really optimistic that maybe we'll finally like mono red aggro might finally be good, but we'll see. Alright, here's a card that I've loved. Season to play. Pyromancer. We'll talk yeah. about that next.
0: Yes, I, I, I love this card. I've been playing it since Modern Horizons 1. I used to play it in Mono Red Phoenix. I used to play it in Ponza. I used to play it in Skelemental. I've got a Skelemental. lot of, I've gotten a lot of use out of my Season
2: Pyromancers. I have no idea what I'm going to do within Historic. I think this card is just good. Like, it's not, I don't think this is, I think this is like Esper Sentinel. Like, it's not a card that is going to make a deck happen around it, but it's just a card that's going to go a lot of places and do a lot of things for a lot of people.
0: Exactly. I feel like there's a tension between this card and Lurus, though. You know, and and even though we have like a weird quasi-Ponza deck in the format that maybe can play this. If you're filling your graveyard, I think you want, like, certain ways to make use of it other than just, like, a draw to. But actually, I take that back. Like, Ponza doesn't care about filling your graveyard. And it's just, like, a nice way to keep your cart, your hand full after you've spent everything in Modern. So maybe it is just good. Yeah, this is just good. Just play it.
2: <laughs> I think it's just going to be value for certain places and probably bigger decks. Like you said, like Ponza, this is your middle of the road card.
0: Maybe we can have a little chunky red with glory bringer and Chandra's
2: and this and Obosh. Obosh. Can we get to Obosh with stomp and, you know, yeah. yeah. Bonecrusher giant. We get closer to like a mono red kind of list. Like we've seen in modern here and there. Yeah. You, I that mean, your you unholy heats and your you dragon get, rage channelers and your Oboshes, your, your
0: faithless lootings. Dave, I think we just came up with a deck.
1: Here it is. Nice. I love it. Uh, so speaking of uh, figuring out a deck, we got a discard package. We got Insolent Neonate. We got Fiery Temper. We got Blazing Root Walla. Uh, these are things. <laughs> they go together. We still do have Illegal Faithless Looting. Um, you know what I mean? So, Mono Red Phoenix? I don't know. I mean, there's 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 stuff to do here. There's cards that one wants to play. I mean, we do have Hollow One still. We still have Flame Blade Adept. Yeah, This just makes uh, this idea keep going. It'd be something I'm hoping people test with. I'm not going to craft these cards right away, but I'll wait to see what happens. And we also got, we got something that kind of goes along with that as well, right? In Mana Gorge or Phoenix, which is a, one of the brand new cards.
0: I'm going to read this one really fast just because it is new mana gorger is red red for a 2-2 flyer it cannot block and whenever you cast a red spell if it's in your graveyard put a flame counter on mana gorger phoenix for each red mana in that spell's mana cost if mana gorger phoenix has five or more flame counters return it to the battlefield and it perpetually gets plus one plus one so when you cast it on turn two it's just a 2-2 but if you're getting any recursion from it it gets bigger and bigger
2: yeah, I think that this card fits in with the discard package that Shane was talking about really well, actually, because you know this is a thing where maybe you throw it in your graveyard and then you you cast it later. Like, I don't know if that's the type of mono red Phoenix we want, but it might be the type of fi- mono red Phoenix we get, or maybe there's some kind of eight Phoenix deck. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> Octo Phoenix. Yeah, and and you you mentioned fiery temper, but I
0: think fiery temper is pretty cute. Like it, it's come in and out of modern. It's come in and out of pioneer. I think it's just a really nice card to pair with some of these discard.
1: Yeah. All right. We are a
2: little late on times. You want to go into green? It's not too much in green, I don't think, to talk about yet. Yeah. The only thing I, I like about green is hardened scales. Honestly, I think that's a huge payoff for certain type of decks that certain people really love and you know, it seems like it's possible to make it happen. We don't have like Arcbound Ravager, of course, so it's harder to find a sacrifice outlet, but we do have Zabaz mm-hmm.
0: that can sacrifice
2: well, we, we some don't. some things, right? We still don't have walking ballista.
0: Yeah. And we never will. <laughs> Probably not. Mark my words. You no, know, this new long tusk stalker, I think, is pretty interesting. For sure. Single green one one, when it ETBs or attacks, you get an energy counter, and then you can pay two energy and it perpetually gets plus one plus zero. And you may choose a creature card in hand. If you do that card gets perpetual plus one plus zero. So it's it's buffing itself and another card. It's a new energy payoff seems I think it seems neat, yeah I think that card
2: seems reasonable too
1: is Sylvan anthem gonna do anything for us <laughs> Dan no probably not no <laughs> no uh one of the things I think is somewhat cool is scale up just because like I like it generally it's not like it gave they didn't give it like perpetual or anything like that so it's not like we have a new per- perpetual version of scale up or anything like that, but you know it's a it's a strong card we got i mean i th- i think the most interesting thing about the green and green multicolor is honestly the enchantment package like I think we got like in multicolor we got Sithis we got Sterling Grove we got Sanctum Weaver in green yeah Uh, I think that those are strong additions to just kind of the auras concept I think there will definitely be like a Selesnia or like on auras
0: I think that's interesting I had a very different read on green which is we have a bunch of squirrels, including Chatterstorm, get a lot of squirrels. and like squirrel lords. Um, and I wonder with that, and you know, parallel lives, and just um, I, w- I wonder if we might find ways to make it actual constructed squirrel deck in a way that his modern would never
2: have. I think it's possible for sure. Chatterstorm is such a powerful card and such a powerful like reason to put resources into something that I could see it. I could see it for sure. Yeah, it, it's. In fact, it's stuff like that that
0: highlights this set for me and I think actually puts like the silver lining on this uh, watershed moment that we're getting from all the digital-only cards where, you know, to me, a, a good successful set is one that expands the format, right? And we have like new constructed decks that we can play in addition to like some beloved old decks that can continuously play and hopefully get powered up. And if we see stuff like squirrels enter the format, I don't think squirrels is something that pushes anything else out necessarily, but maybe it's just like a fun new strategy that you can run into ladder periodically. But maybe they're just plants for brawl decks. <laughs> and we have to play commander.
1: I'm going to get into multicolor besides uh, Sithis and Sterling Grove, as we talked about. Yeah. Anything else you're hyped about?
0: I mean, Soul Herder, I think it's pretty cool.
1: You want to be Blinkets of stuff? You want to blink? Blinky can- Blink?
0: We got more cards to blink. Um, we got another ninjutsu card with Ingenious Infiltrator, which is basically just, um, you know, an extra copy of Ninja of Deep Powers. We probably should talk about slivers, right? Like, that's kind of the big one.
1: I mean, they have the cool slivers and they have the lame slivers. So, they got all the slivers. They yeah. got those weird humanoid art ones that, like, were in the core set that everyone freaked out about. And then they have the cool alien-looking ones. Mm-hmm very Mm -hmm. pointy no but yeah i mean slivers will be a thing people test we even got sliver hive i mean you know as a land so
0: we have sliver hive, and we have the first sliver which gives all slivers cascade and i think numero uno i think that one is is nutty when it hits the board because then your deck just sort of goes off and if you have you know cloud shredder sliver which is the one that gives your creatures flying in haste
1: (laughs) you just sort of win on the spot i don't think sliver is gonna be good i do think people will play it more power to them because people playing magic is fun uh, we got Priest of Felrights, like another part of you know the recursion package that we saw in Modern Horizons two. We saw Lonus, Cryptozoologist, and Stan. We've talked about this card like three times. I still don't know exactly what this card is trying to do. No clue. I'll figure it
0: out probably once it's on Arena. No clue. The fact that this
1: is an investigate
0: card, I like it, Stan. <laughs> yeah, once it's on Arena and I see how it actually impacts the battlefield, maybe then I'll understand. I think it yeah. has something to do with tokens. You sacrifice clues and then do stuff with clues. You can
1: like like you can like get stuff from your opponent's library. I mean, sweet, cool. I love stuff like
0: that. I kind of feel like this gold category is stacked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like All of these gold cards seem to have some kind of potential in a way that our monocolored discussions omitted cards because it looked like fluff
1: i mean maybe i'm not opposed to it
0: territorial kavu you know we learned in modern you only need two triumphs to put territorial kavu online we're getting that here i think that's that's a nice get
1: i mean it's something getting captured by the gox the gax the gack? i mean i don't know i think that there's some interesting stuff here uh sweet priest of fell rights rip apart rip apart was already in the format i'm just looking at a spoiler and i'm like that card looks good oh wait because it's moderately okay uh artifacts Nettle Cyst, again, mm-hmm. potentially part of an Artifact Aggro deck. This could be like your little top end, like your living weapon uh, that's also Cranial Plating.
0: Yeah, it, I think this is our first living weapon in Historic. Oh, yeah, good point.
1: I've not seen a Germ Token before.
0: Yeah, chat, let me know if I'm forgetting something, but I don't know if we have any ways to fetch this. Or maybe, do you, maybe
1: need a, do you need a way to fetch it? I mean, just play it.
0: Yeah, maybe you just play it in your Tempered Steel deck.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, I feel like there will be a tension in terms of how many cards can I play that aren't good without other artifacts already existing? So like if we have thought monitor, can we also play Nettle I don't know. Right. Right. And we mentioned Zabaz earlier, the one mana modular, uh cool card that I think will be part of people's testing with a modular deck or hardened scales decks. Mm-hmm. Stan, we, we kind of lost Dave because he's had some tech issues with being in his temporary, his housing between housing. Um, so what are you, lo- what are you looking for in this? Like, do you want to make your, your favorite decks a little bit better? Are you already seeing potential for like all new decks?
0: Yes. And yes, exactly. I've been hoarding gold. Cause you know, you know, I still play historic. I actually play arena every day.
1: Yeah. I, I, I got my one win for the month so that I got my packs.
0: <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been hitting my dailies. I've been hoarding gold for this event Um, because I I don't really want to spend gems on it. I I will if I have to. But I'm just looking forward to seeing how it impacts the format. And I'm hopeful that it doesn't break it with the RNG cards. And so far, I'm cautiously optimistic. And I think even though early on in the discussion, and, and even the reaction to the announcement, the RNG cards sucked a lot of air out of the room. But I think that overlooks all this other powerful stuff we're getting. And I think that they, the RNG cards actually have a taller hill to climb than some of these other modern Horizons cards that we've seen their potential of before that I think just need to find a, a pile to go into and will probably be as good if not maybe even a little better relative to the rest. What what about you Shane? Are are you seeing any anything new you want to craft or any any additions to some of your favorite cards elsewhere that uh you're excited to play with?
1: I'm I'm um, pretty good. I think that like I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about like some new aggressive decks uh specifically based around white. Uh I think we'll we'll see what happens. I think I'm a, I'm gonna let's let's see
2: let's just give Dave some room. Maybe he can he can get uh he can get his take in here. I'm really excited to play red deck, I guess, which I wasn't, wasn't quite expecting. But you know, that's what I like to do. So the cards are really good in red. And I hope that there's something that works there with Dragon's Rage Channeler and Unholy Heat and some other cast of, cast of people to come along. I like the discard package in red too. I think red got a lot of good cards, I guess. Yeah, like, for I'm saying. sure. Um, I think other than that, the one thing that I'm most interested in is a deck we didn't get to talk about when we got Went through their spoilers, but the the fact that Revelark is in the set and that mm-hmm. Davriel's Withering perpetually gives Rev, Revelark minus uh, what is it minus one minus two, so it's perpetually dead, and then it constantly brings itself back from the graveyard. So it's a it's a apparently an infinite combo that if you can get a Blood Artist effect into play, will just kill somebody. Uh, I guess we'll see if there's some kind of interesting combo re- a reanimator style combo deck going on there. Um, but Revelark is one of those cards that's always around waiting to be broken. And this might have broken it. Vesperlark. Oh, Vesperlark. Yeah. My bad. Not Revelark. Vesperlark. But yeah, I think you're right, Stan. I think
1: like, you know, like I said last week, is we have like one of two choices and it's to like be bummed or try to be excited. I'd rather try to be excited. Uh, I think that it's going to be just challenging to sort of try to stick with it, try to stick with historic and keep up with the economics of it. But uh, we'll do our best. We've we've been able to keep up with it so far, and I think that both by just playing our dailies and you know buying in a little bit, I think we'll be able to. So, you know, we're not going to stop doing historic.
0: Can't can, can I just have some of the Patreon money to just like throw it into Arena sight unseen, craft cards haphazardly, whether or not they are already in decks
2: that are worth exploring? I mean, we're going to have to send some receipts to the CM, the CEO, and accounting for that. Yeah, but well, that was fun. Look, another
0: spoiler app. Who knew that we would have one so soon? I feel like there's going to be a new spoiler up in like three weeks.
2: When when's werewolves versus vampires think, coming out? I think it's a month from now that we'll start getting spoilers for that. So it's not it is not that long. You're right. Cool. We've just become a spoiler podcast, and maybe we always have been. At least they're easy. Sorry for my technical difficulties tonight, everyone. By the way, apology accepted. And on that note, it's
0: a wrap on this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the pod, you can reach us by tweeting at the dive Down all one word, or emailing thedivedown at gmail.com. You can also support the show via Patreon over at patreon.com slash thedivedown. We now are on Discord. We heard a lot of people say that they were reluctant to join the community because they don't want to get on Slack. They don't want to be part of that corporate doggy dog world in the Slack universe. So now we're, we're in the gaming community now, everyone. We're on Discord. And you can only join our Discord if you become a patron. Also, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. Sign up for a Mana Traders account using promo code Down 2021 all one word. Get 15% off your two month first two months of renting Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play Arena